All right, Seahawk fans, it is the postseason. Welcome into the Field Goals Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Viennes, and we're here to talk about a playoff game. Who would have thought that? Cue the old Jim Mora Sr. playoff quote, right? Who would have thought that we'd be sitting here today, that I'd be talking to you and not doing a season wrap-up and looking ahead to the postseason. Crazy. And who better to uh, get us ready for tomorrow's wildcard matchup in Santa Clara against the red-hot San Francisco 49ers than Corbin Smith of all Seahawks. You also know him from the Locked on Seahawks daily podcast. Corbin, welcome in. Thanks for having me, Dan. Great as always. So you posted a piece to the website yesterday that I found fascinating. And the angle that you took was what lessons could the Seahawks have learned over their first two games against the 49ers this year, both losses, 27 to seven and 21 to 13. The last one coming on Thursday night football, uh, middle of December. Some of the lessons that they could have learned uh, heading into this game, because right now, when you look at all of the optics, you look at the sheer numbers, the 49ers on a 10 game winning streak. They have the number one defense in the league in yards allowed and points allowed. Their offense is fifth or sixth in, in all of those key statistics. The 10 wins have come by an average score of about 31 to 14. Could not be any hotter heading into the playoffs. They get to play at home tomorrow. What we're trying to find something to grab onto to give us hope that the Seahawks might be able to play with this team. And to me, the hope is how they performed in the second through the fourth quarter of the Thursday night game. First quarter was a debacle, but after that, they played them pretty evenly. And by the end of the game, actually, a lot of the numbers the team statistics were pretty even. What's yeah, the those what's last your three quarters? Those last three quarters in that game, that definitely was a sign to me. Going back and rewatching the game because go, coming out of it, I felt like it was one of those games where you lost by eight, but it felt like you lost by twenty five. But going back yeah. and watching the tape again after the first quarter, that that was, and it was weird because the first quarter there was only a seven point separation on the scoreboard, but it was one of those quarters where it felt like your team got brutally beat up on both sides of the ball by a superior opponent. But those last three quarters, you started to see the offense find a little bit of traction. The defense was playing really well against the run. I mean, they forced six punts in that game, Dan. And the run defense until a 54-yard run by Jordan Mason inside the final minute, and and I'm going to exclude that because they were trying to sell all out. And sometimes you get burned when you do that but they were giving up less than four yards per carry to the 49ers run game for almost four full quarters. And the first matchup, the 49ers had like 40 something carries, but you know, they weren't racking up big yardage necessarily. And they had a 51 yard run sprinkled in there. So you take those explosives out. I feel like two of their best games this year, defending the run have actually been against the San Francisco 49ers. Can you do that again in the playoffs? That's going to be the number one key on the defensive side. And I'll start with offense though, because that's the most pressing issue here for this football. The Seahawks offense. Yeah. They scored 13 points on offense in these two games. And they had one touchdown drive on 20 possessions against the 49ers defense. And so you look at those numbers and like you said, you're just grasping for straws. Where, where are the positives that you can get out of this? And the thing is, one, the killer turnovers. They had a great opportunity to score in the second quarter to make it a one-score game in 
Santa Clara in week two, and then they decided to dust off that 1920 playbook <laughs> oh. with 40 personnel. I was hoping we was wouldn't bring that up play, again. But then DJ Dallas, poor guy, was a quarterback in high school, but you couldn't tell the throw that he made, shot putting it right in the hands of Shavarius Ward. So you just wiped out seven points right there. They had a great chance to score a touchdown there. They were moving the football. Geno Smith was throwing the ball well, and then they took it out of his hands. And then in week 15, Travis Homer, after Quandre Diggs dropped that gimme mm, into the second quarter, yeah. Homer fumbles there. That sequence of plays, I feel like, lost the Seahawks that football game. And I know there's a lot of 49ers fans out there that have been saying, well, there was a pick six taken away from us. And that, yeah, there were big plays on both sides that were taken away. Right. But that sequence, the Seahawks, whether you believe in momentum or not, they had the momentum then. And Travis Homer fumbled it. And the 49ers get the ball at the six yard line, score a touchdown or more half. That was back breaking, especially with them receiving to open the second half. And so those killer turnovers, that's the first lesson. Hold on to the football, make smart decisions with the football. And they have not done that. Well, and that's going to be even harder tomorrow. The forecast could not be any uh, worse as far as conditions for a football game in Northern California. Torrential downpour, they're calling them uh, flooding rains, potentially all throughout the game with up to an inch of rain and 10 to 20 mile an hour winds. So, you know, the turnover battle is something I'm sure both head coaches are going to be focusing on heading into that game. Um, but you're right. I, I, I felt like I remember coming away from that Thursday night game thinking, and people thought I was crazy. I took a lot of positives away from that game because even the game that Geno played, while there weren't any of the big downfield throws in that game, I felt like against really good pressure, obviously, really tight coverage, um, he hung in there and he and he grinded it out and he put some drives together that gave them a chance. I What I tried to relate to people after that game is I think Geno Smith was the only reason the Seahawks had a chance in that game, late in that game, and he really kind of grinded himself or, or grinded through it. What are you looking for from him tomorrow, uh, based on what you've seen the last couple of weeks in these uh, in this push to get into the playoffs? You know, you can look at the bad decisions that he's made, and that has clearly been the big difference between the last three or four games and the first ten to twelve games. Just a lot more of those. I don't even want to use the word careless decisions, but just decisions with the football that he was not making putting the ball in harm's way, which you know has to bother Pete Carroll like no other. But I think some of this is not on the quarterback. It has been on pass protection. The pass protection, just the offensive line play in general, I think is the biggest reason this team went from being 6-3 and three to suddenly being 7-8 and eight at one point. They couldn't run block. The pass protection suddenly was not good. It was what everybody was expecting was going to be at the beginning of the season. And this group exceeded expectations. But I don't think you can downplay – Abraham Luke is playing at like 60% for several games because once they let him sit out week 17, he had his best game as a pro mm -hmm. last week. And I know the Rams are banged up. They're not the same defense they usually are. They don't have a fearsome edge rusher for him to deal with, but he just looked healthy and he was not in week 15. He was hobbled. You could tell he was not moving like we're used to seeing. So that is a huge difference. And Charles Cross is coming off his two best games in my opinion. Hmm. So they seem like they've gotten over that rookie wall. The bigger question to me, and I know this is crazy because Nick Bose is so dominant on the outside, but can the Seahawks interior offensive line protect Geno Smith? Because that's where most of the rushed bad throws have come from is pressure coming through from the guards and the center. Yeah. And if they are able to limit that more than they did in the previous two matchups, when they do throw the ball, then I'm still confident that Geno Smith can carve up any defense. He's shown he can do it, but 
there's two games against the 49ers. They haven't been able to protect him. And a lot of the games recently, pass protection has not been there. And you can see that he's pressing. Let him get in a little bit of a rhythm. You're going to have to lean in the ground game in this uh, particular contest because of the weather. But when you do throw the ball, let him get in rhythm. And for goodness sakes, get the tight ends involved. And that was really the big difference the end of that last game when they got Noah Fant rolling and still no Colby Parkinson. Parkinson, in my opinion, to win this game, needs at least four catches in this game. They need to get him the ball. He is one of the few players in their team that even as good as the 49ers defense is, he creates matchup problems for their safeties and linebackers with his height, his speed, and his catch radius. And yet they're not using him in those games. He's been getting the ball a lot more recently. That needs to carry over in this game if they want to win. He's been my guy, man. I've been I've been pounding that same drum all year. I feel like especially with when Will Disley went out, like he can be such a weapon and his team's, you know, key more on on Metcalf and, and locking on the outside that Parkinson can be such a weapon. I talk about your um and I'll get back to some of the things you wrote about in your article in a minute, but I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on how you feel Shane Waldron has developed as a play caller uh, this year. We've seen some really good things, but I felt like in the Rams game, first quarter was interesting. Uh, there was a lot of ingenuity and a lot of motion, some under center, some some, uh, some gun. Uh, and then I felt like in the second and third quarters, they got kind of vanilla and the game kind of came back to them. And then in the fourth quarter, we saw also, it was like they were emptying the playbook. They were using tight ends as fullbacks. Derek Young was getting involved more as a fullback. They were using three and four players in the backfield. And, uh, and, and I think the results reflected that. What are your overall impressions as we head into the playoffs of where Shane Waldron is as far as operating this offense? I see a very inconsistent play caller is what I see. You just mentioned it for one game, but I'm thinking a few weeks ago, I think it was actually the last 49ers game where they were living in shotgun the entire game. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting in the press box, just kind of scratching my head. Where is the under center stuff, especially for your run game? And they've gotten back to the under center game the last few weeks. And you're seeing the difference that is making for Ken Walker the third, the difference it's making for the offensive line. I know that I've talked to linemen who have told me, hey, there's really not a difference between shotgun and under center for us. But it really makes it tougher on a defense. When you're in shotgun, Ken Walker's to the left of you. There's only so many things you can do running the ball out of that. When yeah. you're an under center or pistol, you can go either direction. It does create a little more complicated situation for the defense trying to defend the run. And so I felt like Shane Waldron got away from that for a few weeks. And as you mentioned, there's times where the motion and, and all the pre-snap eye candy is great. And then there's times where we're just going to come out in four wide and there's no motion. We're not moving guys around. We don't have Derek Young at fullback. We're not mixing and matching guys. And that just makes it so much easier for the defense when you're that vanilla. I like the word that you use there because that's really been the thing. It doesn't seem like there's a mid ground with Shane Waldron. He is yeah. either throwing his entire playbook, the entire kitchen sink at people, or you know what? We're going to be extremely conservative. We're going to run a bunch of plays out of shotgun, but we're not going to have motion. It's going to be stagnant. There isn't really a mid ground. So it's just, it's inconsistency. And you got to believe that some of that boils down to, he still doesn't have a ton of experience yeah. as a play caller in the NFL. He didn't have any in college before getting this position too. So I think he's still trying to grow as he goes with a lot of different pieces they had on offense this year. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see the kitchen sink version going into the third matchup against these teams uh, tomorrow. You have to. One of the other points you made uh, in your piece is the um, 
the effectiveness of the Seahawks pass rush over the last few weeks. Um, how much of that is what they're doing in the development of some of their young players? How much of it was, you know, Jets and Rams issues on the offensive line? They've had some inconsistency in their lineups and some injuries. Um, what are they doing to get to the quarterback these last few weeks? You know, I'm buying that the pass rush has really turned to the corner. And I know that it's easy to make the argument. You know, you look at the Jets. George Fant has had a rough year yeah. for the Jets. Dwayne Brown is 37. He's starting to look like he's 37. He even a bad even his own head coach said he's amazed he was able to make it through that game. But he's still not, he's not the player that he once was. The Jets offensive line has had issues protecting whoever's been back there. And the Rams... They were playing musical chairs every week, though. Their yeah. line had been playing a lot better the last couple of weeks okay. going into that season finale. They had found some continuity up there. And Rob Havenstein is a really solid right tackle. So mm-hmm. I'm buying the fact that Daryl Taylor is, you know, we talk about this developing counter moves and making sure your pass rush move, your pass rush plan is, is developed. And that's all fine and dandy. But sometimes if you've got an elite skill, you just got to lean on that. And that's what Daryl Taylor has done in the second half of the season. Pete Carroll talked about it, like, look, we'll, we'll develop spin moves. We'll develop some other moves to work off of your speed. But you have elite speed. Use it. And he has been doing that the last four or five games. And he's beaten some really good tackles during that time, too. And so I think what we've seen from him is a legitimate turn of the corner. He is playing with much greater confidence now. And Boye Mafe, they're finally mm-hmm. starting to let him rush the passer a little bit. I have been complaining about this since about week four. He was getting seven reps a game. He's supposed to make when he's not getting chances to do it. Now we're starting to see him make his presence felt. He had four pressures last week against the Rams, and he, he still played, I think, single-digit pass rushing reps. Mm. And he's been a game saver for them setting the edge too. He has been way better against the run than I ever would have anticipated. Those two, Nuosu's been good all season, 10 pressures last week. So I'm buying that. It's going to be a tough matchup because Trent Williams is elite, the best of the best at left tackle. McGlinchey on the other side is having a really good second half. So it's not going to be easy, but at the same time, it does feel like what they've done the last few weeks has been more about them than what the opponent they've been playing against. So to end, uh, I just want to ask you this. Rather than ask you for a prediction or what you think is going to happen tomorrow, I'll put it this way. All things being equal, if the Seahawks and 49ers, as currently constructed, and both teams, by the way, heading into the playoffs, about as healthy as you could possibly be, given the guys that are on their roster. Uh, If they played 10 times, how many times would the Seahawks beat this 49er team? Two. Okay. Okay. I'd go 20%. I think two out of 10. I think that there would be a few games where they would win the turnover battle. And that's, that's really been the big difference. And I mentioned it earlier, the killer turnovers, but they've lost four to nothing in their two games against the 49ers in the turnover margin. You have got to find a way to turn the football over rattle Brock Purdy while also limiting their run game. It's not going to be easy to do that, but uh, the turnover margin is really the biggest issue. If they can find a way to, move the turnover margin into their favor and they're much more effective finishing off drives offensively, they have a fighting chance. But again, I would say 20% of the time, just because the 49ers are the better football team on offense, on defense. I think the Seahawks are better on special teams. That's the one area that they have the advantage. Uh, But the talent is clearly in San Francisco's favor. They're playing at home. Uh, So I'd say 20% of the time.
Well, Corbin, thanks for joining us. We'll have a lot to talk about this offseason, whether that offseason begins 48 hours from now or 24 hours from now, depending on when you're listening to this, or whether it begins in another week or two. Um, certainly, I anticipate uh, getting together a few times over this offseason, one that, that promises to be fascinating for the Seahawks and their fans. Uh, let everybody know where they can hear you and read your stuff. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. I'm still writing on all Seahawks with SI, and you can find Locked On Seahawks five, sometimes six days a week. I, I do my postcast after games too. Uh, you can find us on Twitter as well, locked underscore Seahawks. We're available on all major platforms, Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, video form on YouTube. You can find it any of those platforms. All right. Thanks for joining me, Corbin. We will talk again soon. As I said, uh, we'll take a quick break here. When we come back, Rob Guerrera of Niners Nation will be joining me and we'll take a look at this game from the 49ers standpoint. Be right back. Joining me now is Rob Guerrera of Niners Nation for the third time this season. Seahawks and Niners, not the only two entities meeting for the third time. Rob, thanks for joining me on the show again. Good to be back. We are back under much different circumstances, of course. We are in the playoffs, something that Seahawks fans weren't expecting this season. Um, let me start there from the outside looking in. I think 49er fans had every expectation this year that this would be a season that ended in the postseason. The path to get there was different, but here we are, and we're going to talk about the momentum they have going into the playoffs in a moment. But from the outside looking in, what do you make of this Seahawks team that nobody expected to win five, let alone six or seven games, finishing nine and eight, making the playoffs? Look, I've got my Homer hat on, so take this with a grain of salt, but I can't help but wonder if Nathaniel Hackett remembers how to use a timeout in week one against the Seahawks. Hmm. Are they even in the playoffs? I don't know because Nathaniel Hackett decided to let the time run off the clock and try a 64 yard field goal at the end of that game. Yeah. And if that doesn't happen, well, I don't know. You know, that's just to say, I feel way better about the 49ers in matchup number three than I did in matchup number two. And I was going to remind you of that. <laughs> you were much more concerned than I was going into that Thursday night football game on uh, December 15th. What if, first of all, just some numbers, 10 straight wins and not just 10 straight wins. Uh, I, I did a little math average score of those 10 wins. If you round up 49ers are winning by an average score of 31 to 14 over those 10, 10 games. So they go into the playoffs as hot as you could possibly have. They have the number one defense in both yards per game and scoring uh, per game. Offensively, they're fifth or sixth in the league in both scoring per game and yards per game. Is there a better all-around football team in the NFL right now heading into the postseason? I don't think so. And I, you know, again, I'm trying not to be a homer here, but the 49ers had the best point differential in the entire league this year at plus 173 which is a fantastic number. Yeah. They had the best turnover differential in the league at plus 13. And again, a lot of this is with your third string quarterback. So when I look at the best teams in the league right now, going into the playoffs, Niners have a 10 game win streak. That's only been done eight other times in the last 25 years. So right now I got to say, yeah. And you mentioned the third string quarterback and it's, this isn't just your typical story of a, of a team having to rely on their third quarterback. Usually when that happens, either one or two are terrible, or as is the case with the 49ers, you have injuries, but you're talking about your starter going into the season was a, a, 
a guy that you gave up a ton of draft capital to move up and get in the top five, uh, who was your future franchise quarterback, he gets he gets hurt week two. Your backup is is a well established, well respected, well traveled um, a veteran who has taken a team to a Super Bowl. He gets hurt. Your third stringer then after after losing those two guys is a guy who was literally the last player picked in the draft this year, overlooked by a lot of teams, not big enough, not a strong enough arm. Brock Purdy, over uh, over those games, since he became the starter, 67% completions, almost 1,400 yards, a 13-4 to 4 touchdown to interception ratio. His passer rating is 107.3. If you extrapolate that out over a full season, the guys in the MVP conversation, what is it about Brock Purdy that has been such a perfect fit for this Kyle Shanahan offense? He makes the easy plays. He hits the open receiver, and it sounds you know, like I'm knocking him and I don't mean to because the 49ers haven't always had a quarterback that's been able to do that. Yeah. But the one thing that Brock has showed is that when Kyle dials up something and Seahawks fans know this because you saw George Kittle twice in that game on Thursday, Mm -hmm. when Kyle dials it up, Brock hits it and Jimmy could not do that consistently. And so, yeah, Brock looks fantastic. All the numbers you just read look great, but that's been the thing to me. He can hit the open guy and he can throw the ball away, which I know is a, like a weird thing to tout for a quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo never did that. And not only did he never do it, he forced it into the middle of the field where all the people are. And so that's part of the reason why he usually had a lot of turnovers. Brock doesn't do that. He'll throw it away and live to play another day. And the, the combination of those two things is how they've gotten to where they are. It's amazing to put it in such simple terms like that. But it's true. When, when you're watching football, especially live, when you can see everything develop, you know, as Seahawks fans, you know, I always respected Jimmy Garoppolo's talent, but but we would see every time we would play him, we would see throws that are left on the field. We would see opportunities that were missed um, or just a, or just an errant throw. And it sounds so simple to say, hey, just run the offense the way it's designed. Hit the guy that's open. You know, make your reads. Don't zero in on any one guy. I mean, we just finished 10 years here in Seattle of, of having a, an all-pro caliber quarterback who his biggest criticism from most people was he didn't do that as good as he was. It just goes to show you how the, the, the scheme that we've had so much respect for that Shanahan runs and, and other offshoots of it around the league, how effective it can be when you have a guy like that at the helm. Um, heading into this game, both teams may be as healthy as they've been all year. Uh, 49ers get some good news this week on Javon Kinlaw. And, and, uh, and are there other than... I mean, you're 100% healthy. As healthy as you can be heading into this game, not including Jimmy Garoppolo and a couple others, correct? It's ridiculous how healthy the 49ers are when you think of all the injury. You know, Nick Bosa missed time. George Kittle missed time. Debo Samuel missed time. Eric Armstead. Right now, there are only two starters, two projected starters from the beginning of the year that are not going to play in this game. One is Trey Lance, who they lost against Seattle. Yeah. The second is Emmanuel Mosley. who was supposed to be their corner opposite Charvarius Ward. That's it. Everybody else that was a projected starter for this Niners team is healthy and ready to go. It's crazy to think, but this is the healthiest they've been maybe all season, even including before week one. Yeah. It's so unusual for any team to be heading into the playoffs that healthy, uh, let alone both these teams. Um, Based on what you've seen from these, the, the two matchups in week two, 49ers, a wire-to-wire dominant win, 27-7. to And then on the 15th, the Seahawks came back to to kind of made it a one-score game late. Uh, the score 
could have easily been two scores. 49ers take a knee inside in the red zone. 21-13, the final there. What is it about this matchup that makes it such a tough one for the Seahawks? The Seahawks can't stop the 49ers on the ground. Yeah. In two matchups this year, the 49ers have run for almost 360 yards in the game. If you can't stop the 49ers on the ground, you're not going to beat them because they're not going to turn it over, and that defense is good enough to prevent you from moving up and down the field. So the Niners are going to control the pace of the game. They're going to limit your possessions. They're going to get points, and they're not going to turn. They're not going to give you the ball. And Seattle has not been able to stop them on the ground. And now Christian McCaffrey is in, obviously, and now Elijah Mitchell is in, obviously, and Debo Samuel is back. So even with the rain, as bad as it's going to be, and I, I know we'll talk about that, you feel confident as a 49er fan that the, the best thing you do is going to be available to you. Yeah, and that's the thing. All three of those backs are available for this game. We didn't have uh, have to worry about facing Debo or Elijah Mitchell in the Thursday night game. How healthy is Debo? That was a significant high ankle sprain. It's one thing to be back and be playing, but we've seen it with Kenneth Walker. I, I felt like just this last weekend was the first time he was fully healthy, um, and you could see it on the field. Uh, how much of Debo Samuel are we getting tomorrow? When we first got the news when he went down and they said, oh, it's not as bad as we think, he'll play again this year. And I was like, yeah, okay, he'll play again. But, I mean, he suited up last you know week 18 with nothing to really play for i mean he was seeding yes but it was, certainly wasn't an emergency situation and he was catching short passes and breaking tackles and moving downfield now i'm sure he's not a hundred percent because i uh, that was a significant injury i mean he was literally carted off the field looked like a season ender when it happened yeah especially judging by his reaction right. so i would say i can't give a percentage he's not all the way back but he's pretty close from what i saw in week 18. You mentioned the weather. Uh, the forecast is uh, about as horrific as it could be for a football game. California is getting pounded with rain. The whole West Coast is. It's raining hard up here today. I just walked four blocks and I have to dry all my clothes. Um, they're talking uh, potentially flooding rains. I don't think I've ever seen that term used before. Flooding rains potentially during the game tomorrow. Uh, the rain should last all throughout the, the timeline the game's going to happen uh, during. And up to an inch of rain tomorrow on a natural surface at Levi Stadium. Does that type of weather favor or, or disfavor either of these two teams? Well, I would have said it favors the Seahawks, but I just did an interview with Lofa Tatupu, and he had a good point. And his point was he thought the advantage that the Seahawks had over the Niners was the passing game, especially maybe the deeper passing game. Well, if it's going to be raining sideways like you're talking about, that's going to kind of take that off the table as an option for you. So then what you're going to have to do as the Seahawks is you're going to have to run the ball into the teeth of the best run defense in the playoffs yeah. and the 49ers who give up less than 80 yards a game. So if that's what you're going to have to do, you are playing into my strength as a 49ers fan. So maybe the rain favors the Niners, which is not something I would have said yesterday. As I look at this game and I try to find a reason the Seahawks can win, um, it's tough. It's tough. Other than the obvious situation of, you know, just everything bounces their way. You get a couple turnovers, especially with the rain, maybe a blocked kick and a couple of things like that. But it's, it's as a Seahawk fan, um, I think the general sentiment among our fan base right now is we're playing with house money, right? We're, we're nine and a half point underdogs. We were never supposed to be here. This team has beaten us soundly twice this year. They're the hottest team in the league heading into the playoffs. And as you pointed out, one of the hottest teams to enter the playoffs in a long time. Um, 
Is there any concern from your side? You said you're not as concerned as last time, but is there any concern that things feel too good right now? <laughs> that this is too obvious because it's the NFL. And man, we've seen this time and time again. Sometimes the higher you're flying, the team with nothing to lose is the most dangerous team. Is there any of that sentiment? There has to be some, because just like think about it logically, right? Let's say if the 49ers were going to win the Super Bowl, that would mean they would have to win 14 straight games. That just doesn't happen in the NFL that often. Yeah. So when you think about it like that, you do get a little nervous. But, you know, I know the message from Kyle Shanahan this week that they're drilling in, you know, all the time is you don't have to beat the Seahawks three times in a year. You just have to beat them Saturday. You know, we're, we're one game at a timing this thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's always potentially there, right? You think you're going to go and punch the Seahawks in the mouth. Gino, maybe Gino throws a touchdown early. You're losing. The rain is coming down. All of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? This is supposed to be, you know, our walk in the park. This is supposed to be our year. So there could be a little bit of that, but this is also a very experienced team. Almost mm -hmm. the whole team has a ton of playoff experience other than Brock Purdy, which, you know, I know is fair, although Gino doesn't have any playoff experience either. Right. But they're hard to rattle, especially at home. So I, I think that there it's possible, of course, but this is as prepared a 49ers team, I think, as we have seen in a long time. Hmm. Yeah, it, it sure feels like the only chance the Seahawks have is if they really play loose. And surprisingly, I thought Sunday they came out and played tight. Um, obviously, first play of the game, Geno tries to force it into DK Metcalf right into the arms of Jalen Ramsey. And it wasn't until the third quarter that they finally took some shots downfield, which is a part of their offense that's been missing. It's, it's a tall task. I, I, I think um, Seahawks fans should just appreciate what they've experienced this year and, uh, and get ready for a really interesting and intriguing offseason. Um, because here's the thing. I, let's put this third time thing to bed. To me, when you talk about, yeah, it is tough to beat a team three times if they've beat, or the third time if you've beat them twice already, that only applies to teams, in my opinion, that are evenly matched, where things you know just didn't go a certain way in those games. The, the talent discrepancy right now between these two rosters is uh, so significant that um, I'm just hoping it's an entertaining game into the second half. Um, and maybe just with the rain alone, it'll be entertaining. But uh, let's finish with this. From your perspective, uh, I think I asked you a similar question when we last met, but um, are you, what are the expectations from the fan base? Anything less than a Super Bowl out of this team, the way they're playing right now, would that be a disappointment? <laughs> ask me before the game and I'll say yes. Right, This is what's going to happen. You ask any 49er fan before the game and they're going to be like, yeah, you're nine and a half point favorites in the opening round with your third string quarterback who's a rookie. They should be the best team in the league if that's the case. If the Niners lose afterwards, what you're going to say is, ah, we had our third string quarterback in there. He was the rookie. What are you going to expect? It was pouring rain. But no, I mean, as much as I have told people to just kind of sit back and enjoy this ride, which is just, it's absurd to say. Like if I had told you that Geno Smith was going to throw 30 touchdowns and be the only quarterback in the NFC to throw 30 touchdowns this year, and he would go into the playoffs as the second most surprising quarterback story, you never would have believed me. Yeah. But that's where we are. So I try and tell people to enjoy the ride, but with how they've played, the 10-game win streak, the fact that you could argue easily that the offense has been better since Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, mm -hmm. I do think the expectations for this team are high. It's it's a it's been an amazing roller coaster. You know, 
I think they started the season as uh, universally thought of as contenders, and then um, they didn't play well early with the with the injuries at quarterback, and and uh, and now here we are. It's um, it's an interesting team to watch. I I just mentioned how interesting the uh, offseason is going to be for the Seahawks. I think it's going to be pretty fun to to observe see what how the 49ers go about this offseason too and certainly uh we'll have you back on the show when we're in the depths of that offseason uh as we start to figure out what what they're going to do with that roster and especially at the quarterback position so uh regardless of how that game goes tomorrow we will uh talk again this offseason rob thanks for your contributions to the podcast so far this season and uh enjoy tomorrow yeah thanks for having me anytime that's rob guerrero from niners nation uh, part of the sb nation networks um, follow him on Twitter. Uh, he's a terrific Twitter follow. It's uh, Stats on Fire, correct? That is correct. All right. Uh, that's it for this show. Enjoy the game tomorrow. And uh, regardless, we'll be. Uh, I'll be back on Sunday to wrap up the game, potentially the season, or we'll be talking about one of the bigger upsets in the playoffs in quite some time. I'm Dan Viennes. This is the Field Goals Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. We'll talk to you on Sunday.